And as our kids are making their way to their classes, I want to say welcome to you. Thank you so much uh, for coming today. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here at Ignite. So glad that you can be with us this morning as we open God's Word and, and dive into that. Before uh, we do, though, I want to um, say a, a couple of things. Uh, number one, um, uh, we have people who come from all different walks of life, all different places, all different uh, backgrounds, whether they've walked with Jesus for a lot amount of time or a short amount of time. But one thing that we really want to do is we want to be hospitable uh, to one another. And so um, sometimes, especially in the first service, uh, we have uh, kids uh, go to their classes. We think it's really important, by the way, that the kids are in with us in the, in the morning. We think it's really important that everybody worships together, that 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 kids see mom and dad worshiping uh, as well. That's really important, uh, we think. And, uh, and, and as our kids leave um, and go to their classes, sometimes we have like these massive spaces uh, of open seating. And sometimes people will be waiting um, to, for the kids to get dismissed before they even uh, come in. And so my, uh, my uh, ask of you is that when, when children are being dismissed or, or anything like that, or if you look back and you see that there's spaces open, would you guys do me a favor and just uh, slide in? You don't have to like get up and slide today, but I'm just what I'm saying is like we want to create space, especially along the edges, so that people can come back in and uh, sit down. And if you, if they came late, that's also something that's really uh, important. So we just want to be hospitable to one another. So if you have empty spaces in the middle of the row, uh, please slide in. Um, also, uh, uh, we have uh, we had our annual meeting a couple of weeks ago. And we talked about um, some big things that are on the horizon uh, for Ignite Church and, and some goals that we've set out in place. And uh, if you couldn't make the meeting or if you just had questions about it, um, I'm going to be available uh, for Q&A uh, today at 1 o'clock over at Calvary Village Green, the church uh, down the road. I do it here, but there's a movie showing. So, um, And it's hard to answer questions with somebody behind me. So... Uh, so just wanted to share that with you, um, but I will be available if you need me uh, to, to answer any questions that you guys have. Um, we are uh, continuing in our sermon series in Matthew. Um, we are uh, focusing on chapters 8 and 9 right now of Matthew, and really what 8 and 9 is about is about Jesus uh, bringing the kingdom to us, that, the, that the, this is the outworkings of the kingdom. So in chapters 5 through 7, he talks about this glorious kingdom and what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and now we get to see what Jesus means by that. So we see his, we see his miracles, we see his teaching, and in chapters 8 and 9, we get to see all that on display, and what we've seen uh, is, is how Jesus is is better than we think and more powerful than we can imagine. And that, 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 that last week was how Jesus comes to us. That's an amazing truth. God comes to us. And we talked about that last week, how, how Jesus went to people and cast out demons. And he went to the far reaches of, uh, of, the, of where he was at so that he could reach people for Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. And so that's what we saw last week. And what I want to help us focus on this week is this. Jesus addresses the deeper issue. Jesus addresses the deeper issue. That sometimes we think we have something going on in our life and we think that's the problem or we think that there's something going on. But what we, what we find out later is that it went much deeper than that. Um, the, the, the most recent experience I have with this is, is my dad. And so many of you know my dad is battling cancer. Uh, he has stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, he, uh, he, that was discovered because this. He went into the doctor because he had a cough. 
That's, that's, that's how they found it eventually. He, he had this nagging cough, this annoying thing, something that was keeping him up at night. And he's like, I feel good other than the fact that I have this cough. And so they, they gave him, they treated some things and they treated some things and then they tested his blood and they're like, you know what, something's not right here. And so it, it went from more tests to more tests to more tests until finally they found what was going on. But what he went in for was this minor annoyance, this thing, I have this cough. But what we found out later is there was a deeper issue. Now, a lot of people also, I haven't talked about my dad uh, from up front in a while, so I just want to give you an update on him. Uh, he is uh, doing uh, as good as expected. Uh, he just had his fifth round of chemo down at the Mayo Clinic. Um, and, uh, and what we found is, is that uh, the chemo is doing its work. The cancer is shrinking, of which we praise the Lord for. But yeah, I praise God. Thank you for your prayers on that. Um, the chemo is also doing what we thought it would do, and he's sleeping a lot, and he has sores in his mouth, and he's uh, not, uh, food doesn't taste great to him right now. Um, so I'm trying to get him to taste, uh, try sushi because he didn't like it to begin with. So, I mean, if he can't taste it, like, now would be the time, right? Uh, he still won't. Um, he still won't. But he is, uh, hopefully, uh, Lord willing, um, he will be home uh, March 1st. And so he's got one more round of chemo and then he goes home. But then there's testings after that. But, but uh, we, are, we are on the home stretch. So please keep praying uh, for my father um, and my mother who's down there attending to him uh, down in Rochester. But what was amazing is we thought he needed a cough drop, but what he needed was chemo. We didn't, we didn't know... That, that something so, uh, something this, this was going to have a deeper implications. And what we're going to see today is that Jesus, there's a presenting issue. There's something going on, but Jesus sees something deeper at work. He is the great physician and he knows what's going on. And so while we might see one thing, we might be expecting one thing, Jesus addresses something on a deeper issue. And that's where we're going to be um, today. And, and he, Jesus understands that unless the deeper issue is resolved, the presenting issue is really never, ever going to satisfy. So we're going to be in the book of Matthew. Uh, we're going to start chapter 9 today. We launch into 9, so verses uh, 1 and 2 is where we pick it up. And getting into the boat, this is after he uh, cast out the demons. They said, hey, we don't want you in our town anymore. You're kind of freaking us out. So they got into a boat. And he got into the boat and he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. So Jesus gets back in this boat. Uh, he, he's like, all right, I'm out. And they go back to his own city. Uh, this is the city of Capernaum. Uh, this is Jesus' home base of ministry. It's in the northern part of Israel. And this is where Jesus would circle back to. He would go do ministry. Sometimes he would dip way down to the southern part of Israel and into Jerusalem. But he would always kind of circle back to his own city of Capernaum. And what I love about this is we think about Jesus coming uh, to us um, um, sometimes we think that Jesus is going to go far away. When we think about mission trips, we think about far away. And Jesus did go far away. He went to the, to the land of the Gadarenes we saw last week. He went a long ways away from home to go and heal somebody. But we also see that he is close by in his own backyard. How often do we think that God is at work in other places, but he's not at work in our own life? And I find this really encouraging to see that Jesus, yes, he does go far away, but he's also back to his own city. He's also in his own backyard. 
And so today, if you feel like you're overlooked because you're too close to the church, know that Jesus wants to minister to you today. And while he goes back to his hometown, some friends, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. This is an odd scene, okay? Sometimes I think we read the Bible and we just kind of gloss over some of the details. And this is something that's odd, okay? Like this man is paralyzed and his friends say, you know what? We need to bring this guy to Jesus. So we're going to take the bed out of his house and just haul it with him in it to Jesus, okay? Like, hey, listen, Fred, we got, we got something for you today. Uh, he's like, I can't move. We know we're going to carry you. And they pick up his bed and they walk out the door with him in it, okay? I, I, and they, they're just walking down the street, you know, and they're like, hey, Fred, uh, see, you're still in bed. Um, I don't know if he's looking at his friends going, I don't know what they're doing, but we're going. He had no choice. He's going, lying on this bed, and he, they brought them to Jesus, this man did not have the strength to come to Jesus on his own, and so they brought him to him. How often in our own life, if we think about it, if we're for followers of Jesus in this room, did we come to Jesus because a friend brought us? How often does that happen where, where a roommate or a colleague or a family member or a neighbor or a high school friend, somebody brought you to Jesus because they knew what you needed before you even knew what you needed. Here these friends go, you know what? We're going to bring him to Jesus. We're going to bring him to Jesus and maybe Jesus will, he maybe Jesus will heal him. Well, how are we going to bring our friend to Jesus? We're going to have to carry him. He's already in bed. We're just going to take the bed with us and go. And they did whatever they could to bring their friend to Jesus, even carrying him, even looking a little silly along the way. And they brought him to Jesus, and Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw the, the faith of their friends. Jesus, Jesus saw their faith going, wow, that's a tremendous amount of trust that you would do this year. And he looked at the paralytic man, and he said, take heart, my son. Take heart, be of good cheer, be of courage. How often do we think that if we're going to come to Jesus, he's going to scold us because we're bothering him? How often do we say, yeah, I, I just got to clean myself up more. I got I to gotta do these things. I gotta, I gotta, but, but once I do, once I'm presentable, then I'll come to Jesus and I'll catch him at a time when maybe it's a good time for him. And this is how we treat God and God... God says, it's not like that. He says, listen, you come to me and I'll welcome you. Take heart, my son. What a, what a beautiful invitation. What, a, what this amazing response to someone brought to Jesus' feet and he says, hey, my son, I care about you like family. Take heart. Be of good cheer. Be of courage. Take heart. Let this communicate to you what Jesus is like. Don't conjure up in your image, in your mind, an image that reflects more of you than what it reflects of Jesus himself. Come to Jesus and you find him kind. 
Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Whoa, 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 whoa. We need to back that up a little bit. Your sins are forgiven. Um, He's paralyzed. Don't you think the healing, don't you think something that's going on should be have to do something about him being able to move limbs now? Don't you think there should be something about that that says, hey, maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus should be saying, I, I heal you. Maybe he should um, touch him. Maybe he should tell him to get up and walk. I don't know what's going on, but, but why are you talking about the man's sins? He's, he's laying on a bed in, in the middle of town outside, and you're talking to him about his sins. Did this man's sin cause the paralysis? We don't know. We don't know. Um, A friend of mine lived far from God. Um, Lots of drinking, lots of partying, lots of carousing, lots of driving really fast. And uh, while driving fast isn't a sin per se, it isn't wise. And one day he was too reckless and got into an accident and lost the use of his legs. And he was sitting in his room after he had gotten out of the hospital in his wheelchair, and someone had brought him a Bible, and he sat up in his room by himself just reading the Bible. And as he was reading the Bible, he came to this knowledge of the faith of Jesus Christ, and he realized in this moment his sins were forgiven. His sins were forgiven. There was a deeper issue than the fact that he could or could not walk. There was something going on in his heart that he needed to have dealt with, and he couldn't deal with it on his own. He was racked with guilt, and he was depressed, and he had nothing to live for. And yet in this moment, he says, your sins are forgiven. And it started a whole new life for him. A whole new life for him. How often do we look at the Bible or how often do we talk about Jesus and go, yeah, 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 Jesus forgives sins, but when are we going to get to the good stuff? How often do we go, okay, yeah, Jesus said your sins are forgiven, but is the guy going to walk? What's the deeper issue? What's the more important issue? Like, do we understand what sin is? Because sin isn't a mistake, Sin is not an accident. Sin is the willful disregard of God's commands. Sin is to destroy what God created and mock God while doing it. To look at God saying, I don't give a rip about you and do whatever you want. Sin is willful. It's disobedient. It's disrespectful. It's unbelievably offensive. To look at God's creation, to look at God's commands, to look at God's character and go, whatever, I don't need any of this. Have you ever had something that you created that someone else destroyed? Maybe it was a sandcastle, maybe it was Legos, right? Maybe it was something, right? Did you ever have, you were, you, maybe it was a picture or an artwork. Did you ever have something that you created and have someone joyfully destroy it in front of you? Have you ever had that happen? 
That's what sin is. Now, magnify that to human life. Magnify that to, and God, go, God, I know this is your creation, but I don't care. I'm going to do what I want. Was this man aware of his sin? We don't know. When Jesus said, take heart, your sins are forgiven, what was the response of the paralytic? We don't know. Was he, was he surprised? Was he disappointed? Was he relieved? Did he break down in tears that someone would finally absolve him of the guilt that he had felt and carried and the shame that was with him for forever? Was there a moment of breaking? We don't know. We don't know what this man's response is. But we do know, we do know what the response is of some of the people around him because it's in the next verse. And behold, some of the scribes said to them, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is, evil, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? So this is in a, this is in a setting where there's other people around including some people called the scribes. Now, the scribes are recorders of the law. They're experts in the law. They knew the decrees of God and the laws of man, okay? So they were always constantly checking the books. They were the rule keepers. They were the referees. They were the, you can't do that because this. You can't do that because this. And this doesn't line up with this. And, then, you know, and they, had it, they had it all expertly memorized and written down and all these different things. And they said, some of the scribes were nearby when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes looked at each other, was like, can he do that? He can't do that. Can he do that? I don't think so. Like, is that allowed? No. He's blaspheming, isn't he? He's blaspheming? He's blaspheming. The word blasphemy means to insult, slander, or curse God. How would he be insulting God by saying your sins are forgiven? Because blaspheming is something that we don't take lightly. In fact, it's actually, in this day and age, it's something that could get you literally killed. This was the charge that they would level against Jesus, the Pharisees would, and it led to his crucifixion. That was the charge, blasphemy. He's insulting God. He's undermining God. Why was Jesus' comments seen as so blasphemous? Because only God can forgive sin. That's it. Only God can do what Jesus said in that moment. See, God had set up this system in the Old Testament called the sacrificial system that says when something happens, when sin happens, something or someone has to pay. This is highly offensive, and it needs to be dealt with, and the wages of sin is death. It's so offensive and so unbelievably arrogant that the payment is so steep, something has to die. And so God said, I could kill you on the spot, or... 
We're going to put it in a system of place called a sacrificial system where we're going to, you're going to have to sacrifice something of yourself, of your livelihood, of, of your life. You're going to have to bring an animal. You're going, to have to sacri- you're going to have to bring it to the priest. And this system was set up so that people would be reminded that when I sin, death is the consequence. And there's no sacrifice in this moment. Nobody went to the priest in this moment. There was no one to say you've been absolved of your sin. No one said you're forgiven of your sin. Jesus just says it. And the scribe's like, you can't do that. God does that. You can't do that. You're insulting God because you're trying to be God in this moment. I was thinking this week as I was like, what's a a good word picture? I was thinking about... um, pardoning you know the idea of, of, of pardoning you know so if we pardon a prisoner well who can pardon a prisoner right like the president some others right you know like i can't walk into jail and go it's okay i'm steve and just keep walking in <laughs> and they're like you keep walking in you're gonna stay there right but i can't walk in and go you're pardoned you're pardoned you're out let them out let them out people are like you can't do that you don't have the authority to do that. I'm like, don't you know who I am? In this moment, he's like, your sins are forgiven. I'm like, you can't do that. Only God can do that. So what you're saying right now in this moment is that you're claiming to be God. Do you have the authority to forgive sin? You can't do that. Now, if Jesus was just an ordinary man, the scribes would be right. The scribes would be correct in this moment. If, if Jesus was just some ordinary dude saying, your sins are forgiven, they'd be like, you can't do that. That's blasphemy. And you either need to repent and make sacrifice or atonement for that, or we are going to dispatch you. You can't do that if he was any ordinary man. But Jesus isn't any ordinary man. He's God in the flesh. And part of that is demonstrated by the fact that he knew their thoughts and knew what they were thinking. And so Jesus just addresses it. Before, it's like, hey, you know what? Let's just talk about the elephant in the room, right? Let's just address this head on. You think I'm blasphemy. You think that, this is, you think that I'm doing something very evil in this moment. So why are you thinking I'm doing something evil? He knew their thoughts. And he's like, before we get to it, why are you looking at me that way? Let's talk about your heart. Let's talk about why you think this is evil. And then he says this. He's like, listen, why are you thinking that I'm doing something evil? And let's talk about this. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? Which is the easier thing to say? Says Jesus. Well, I don't know which is the easier one to say, but I know which one is the easier one to prove. Right? I mean, like, I can say your sins are forgiven, and there's nothing external that we would see that that transaction took place right? There has to be like, there's action that comes with like, like there's something that's easier to prove. Your sins being forgiven, harder to prove by the naked eye. Rise and walk. That's a pretty easy one, right? 
I mean, going, well, which one will be easier? Which one will be easier to demonstrate, rise and walk or to say your sins are forgiven? So before they even have a chance to really get worked up, Jesus just cuts it off, you know, cuts them off at the pass and says, hey, why are you thinking evil about me? Which do you think is easier? Which one's easier to prove, forgiving of sins or rising and walking? Verse 6. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Jesus says, which one's easier? Which one's easier to demonstrate? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Okay? The Son of Man is a, is a title that he, uh, Jesus uses a lot to refer to himself. It's taken out of the book of Daniel, which was a prophecy about the Messiah coming, one as a Son of Man. And so he's claiming a title in this moment. He's like, so that you know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. He looks at the man and says, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And the man was healed. Now, that's amazing in and of itself. The man is healed. The man gets up and goes home. That's incredible. I don't know if you've ever been around a physical miraculous healing before, but it's amazing. One time I was out um, doing on a missions trip and one of the leaders, we were playing a game and he hit his head against another guy's head and got him right in the eye. And he looked like a boxer that had just gone 12 rounds. I mean, his eye was swelled shut. It was purple. And we were scared that he had fractured something in, in his, his, uh, his bone structure right here. We, we weren't sure. We're like, we need to take him to the hospital there might be internal bleeding. We don't know what is going on, but we knew that within a moment, he just was swollen up, purple, could not open his eye. And so people sat him down quick and, and uh, they prayed over him. And they prayed over him and they said, God, would you heal this man? Would you, would you do that so that we can continue to do what you have called us to do? Amen. And within three minutes, his eye was back to normal. Like completely, like nothing wrong. No black and blue, no mark, no swelling, no nothing. If I hadn't seen it, I wouldn't believe it. I've just watched a guy get smacked in the face with another man's head, get swollen up, people pray for him, and suddenly he's completely back to normal. It was, it was incredible. I've never seen anything like it. And you're like, Okay, God does things. Okay. God does things. But, but physical healings, while they're amazing, while they're incredible, while they tell a great story that is true, let's not forget the deeper issue. Let's not forget the fact that Jesus forgave this man's sins. And the reason why he's walking is proof that his sins are forgiven. 
okay? Sometimes when we make a declaration of our love, sometimes when we, when we do these things, sometimes we accompany it with a gift, right? I love you. And we give, the wife, we give the woman a ring, right? I love you. We give a gift. I love you. To demonstrate our love, we give. And this man's gift was to be able to walk again. It was a unique gift that God gave to this man as a reminder of God's deep and abiding love for him and the forgiveness of his sin. And God gives each and every one of us gifts and they minister to our heart because God knows how we tick. God knows what our longings are. God knows what we value. God knows this. this was a specific gift for a specific man for a specific purpose. And when Jesus forgives you, he gives you gifts. He gives you encouragements. And they might not seem like a big deal to everybody else, but it's a huge deal to you. And this man, he says, he says, listen, I'm going to give you a gift. Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And the gift of healing physically is amazing, but don't stop there. Don't stop there. Don't stop at the healing and go, okay, God, this is it. This is good. This is all I wanted. In fact, later, Jesus would send out people in groups uh, of two, and they'd send them out, and they, they came back, and they're like, Jesus, Jesus, you wouldn't believe it. Demons were cast out. We did all this kind of crazy stuff. There was these amazing things that happened. You wouldn't believe it, Jesus. And Jesus was like, that's really cool. I'm glad. But don't rejoice over the fact that spirits listen to you. Rejoice over the fact that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Rejoice in the fact that I have written your name on my guest list, and I want you with me. That's what we want to be rejoicing about. The healing, the physical manifestation, these, all these things, good, awesome, great, grand, wonderful, right? Like these are beautiful things. But at the end of the day, let it point us, let it remind us that our name is written in God's book. And he will have us in his family as adopted sons and daughters. That's why we want to rejoice. And this man got up, picked up his mat, and walked home. All the while knowing that his sins were forgiven. That his sins were forgiven. And think about this. Jesus doesn't just go with the deeper issue of the man who's paralyzed in this moment. He, yeah, he, he talks about the man's sin, even though he's paralyzed. But he's also addressing the scribe's unbelief and the crowd's uncertainty. Like in this moment, Jesus heals this man, but there's evidence to something else. And to the scribes, he's like, just to show you that I have the, the authority to forgive sins, watch this. And the scribes had a choice to make. But they had a deeper issue of not just violating a law, but an unbelief that God was in their midst. And the crowds had a deeper issue because this is Jesus' hometown. Did they grow too familiar with him? Or did they know that he was, were they uncertain about who he was? But they knew in this moment, and they glorified God. And they were afraid. There was a healthy fear 
and they glorified God because everybody in this moment knew who Jesus is. And this man picked up his mat. He was no longer held down by paralysis. He was in a newness of strength. It wasn't just that he could walk. It's that he could actually physically pick things up again. You ever had your arm or a limb in a cast and it starts to atrophy or not use something? It starts to atrophy and you like don't have strength anymore. You're like, this pencil's too heavy, right? Like we can't like do things anymore that we used to do. When we don't use the muscles, they start to atrophy. But not only was this man able to just get up, he was able to pick up something on top of it. And he was able to move forward in freedom. All of this was made possible by the command of Jesus. And Jesus addresses the deeper issue. The title of this message is The Kingdom for the Sinner. And all of us in this room are sinners. There might have been a few different places throughout this series that you're like, okay, that, I could see how that applies to someone. I could see that applies to someone. But what about me? Today, we know that the kingdom of heaven has come for sinners. All of us who have willfully disobeyed God, questioned his goodness and his character, and mocked him while doing it. And all of us have done that. All of us are in the same boat. And Jesus comes for us. Does that not amaze you? That Jesus would come for us? Even after we mock him. Jesus comes for us. He will look at us and say, take heart, your sins are forgiven. And when our sins are forgiven, we're no longer held down by the paralysis of fear and rejection and shame. Our paralysis is a spiritual paralysis that keeps us from moving forward. We're atrophying, we're dying in our souls because we fear rejection. We are paralyzed in our sin. We feel helpless against it. And no matter how many times you try or how much you, or your good efforts have always failed and you're paralyzed in this moment, Jesus says, take heart, your sins are forgiven. He removes the paralysis of us. He takes away that. And for the first time, we're able to move without the fear of sin and the bondage that ties us down. And he gives us a newness of strength. For the first time, we're able to choose something other than rebellion against God. We have this new strength, this newness of strength where we can have victory over sin, where we can walk forward, and we can take up our mat, and then we can go home. We can walk. We can walk in freedom because all of us, Guys, all of us, the longing of this human soul is this. We want to be fully known and we want to be fully loved. And we were scared to death that if someone knew all of our junk and all of our crazy, that they would reject us and not love us. And so we hide. 
We hide all of our stuff. If people knew about this, about me, <laughs> if my parents knew, my husband knew, if my friends knew, if God knew, they'd walk away. And what we see is Jesus coming to this man, knowing he has sinned, knowing the deeper issues. Listen, God knows everything about you. And you can come to him and give all of your stuff to him. All of it. And you can walk in freedom. And you're like, how is that possible? Because if we talked about when sin happens, the, 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 the wage is so steep that something has to die. Yeah. That's what makes the cross so beautiful. Because Jesus went in our place and paid our debt and rose from the dead to show that not even our debt could hold him down. So anytime you think, God can never forgive me, yes, he can. Don't limit God by your understanding about what God can forgive. Let God be God. Let him go to the cross for you, give his life for you, raise from the dead so that his death is our death and his resurrection is our resurrection. Let us move forward in freedom. Take heart, my son or daughter. Your sins are forgiven. Rise, take up your mat, and go out. This is the message of the church. This is why it's such good news. This is what God has done for us. That's how much he loves us. Let's pray.